Hello everyone. Welcome to Take a Fashion Seat. Tonight we're going to be discussing book series number eight. The book is titled Vogue 100 A Century of Style. So to sum up reading this amazing book, I'm just going to shout out what I felt about the words and the pictures. I will sum the book up as seeing all the amazing styles and reading them as um, couture, vintage, hipster, sophisticated, chic, sexy, ethnic, retro, business casual, trendy, classy, camp, and just amazing. So um, I'm going to get right into the book, which was written by an amazing author, Robin Muir, who did an excellent job with the book. The book is amazing. And I want to read a little of the foreword, which I talked about and read about earlier in my video. But basically, he's thanking all of the people that helped him make the book happen. So the foreword was uh, written by Nicholas Cullinan, and he is the director of the National Portrait Gallery of London, who was a major factor who made this book happen. So basically at the end of his message, he said, at the center of this exhibition are the photographers who created these timeless images and the lenders who have allowed us to gather them together. So our gratitude goes to each of them. The National Portrait Gallery is very grateful to Leon Max for sponsoring the exhibition. Such an ambitious project would not be possible without this vital support. At the presentation in London, we are delighted that the exhibition will travel to Manchester Art Gallery. And we would like to thank the team there for a productive and enjoyable collaboration. So that, that was the foreword, and the foreword was very nicely written. So Vogue is amazing, um, and the book did other forewords as well by Alexandria Schulman, and the Swanson's foreword was Leon Max, which I just spoke about. But I'm going to say this about the writer, Robin Merrick, who started the book off with Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. The Century in Vogue. British Vogue was born in September 1916, near the midpoint of the Great War, when the threat posed by roving packs of German U-boats halted the import of American Vogue to British shores. In the same month, at the Battle of Somme, General Hay launched a new instrument of war, the tank, to break the deadlock on the Western Front. 
It failed to do so. By November 1960, when the battle had officially ended, there were nearly half a million British casualties, the costliest campaign in British military history. This was a cash moment to make a debut. So by 1960, um, American Vogue had been selling at least 4,000 copies per month. So that's how the book started. And then they said Condi Nash, Nass, a publishing executive from St. Louis, had acquired Vogue in 1909 when it was New York's weekly gazette in decline. It had been founded in 19, I'm sorry, in 1892. He set about expanding it without alarming its core readership, Manhattan social elite. The magnet did drew out the gold. So that's just a little bit of the history that was written. And um, I enjoyed reading about Beatrice Miller and Anna Wintour. So I'm going to read a little bit about that part of the book. So um, it reads like this. At the time, at the time of her retirement in 1986, Beatrice Miller was Vogue's longest serving editor. In her place came its shortest lived, Anna Wintour, half British, half American, and based in New York. Something I never knew, you guys, so that was interesting. In 1983, she became the creative director of American Vogue, a position created for her, and she then crossed the Atlantic to fill the vacant post in London. As an editor, she would not fight shy of the radical overhaul. I want Vogue to be pacey, sharp, and sexy. I want our readers to be energetic and executive women with money of their own and a wide range of interests, she said of her revamped magazine, which would in time serve as something of a template for her forthcoming editorship of American Vogue. So that was really interesting, and I learned that about her, the amazing and wonderful Anna Wintour. And the book flips through, and it shows pictures, of course, of beautiful models such as Christy Turlington, who wore this amazing rose hat by Patrick Dermachaller. Um, and throughout the whole book, there was beautiful pictures of her, Kate Moss, the beautiful models like Karen Elson and the most prettiest one I think is Naomi Campbell so it just I mean she's beautiful she's highlighted through the book along with the beautiful and pretty Chrissy Tarleton Kate Moss and many others um, but the pictures were phenomenal and um, she, the book went from 1916 to 1929. This was the early stages. And they talked about Condé Nast. American Vogue's owner had long been convinced that the discerning English woman of means would embrace her own Vogue. This would encompass the London season, interior decoration, sport fox hunting in the winter, golf in the summer, travel when possible, health and beauty issues, 
reports from the London stage and art galleries, vignettes from fashionable life, and last but not least, fashion itself. So Vogue um, went into talking about Condé Nast and its roots and history. Um, they showed the early ladies um, during that day, um, Nancy Conrad, Lady Diana Cooper, Oliver Messel. I mean, there were just so many beautiful pictures. Um, some of my favorites were the lady with the flapper hat, uh, Virginia Woolf, um, which picture was taken by um, Maurice Beck and Helen McGregor. Um, they were early portraits, and women were beauty beautiful during the 1920s. Um, they had special looks, and there was also the Marquise de la Torre and Madame Martinez de Haas, pictures of them. This was the earlier Vogue pictures, and they were so nice. And then 1930 to 1939 went into the glorious twilight which showed different pictures of Vogue. Um, the 1930s held many omens of impending disasters, but none so symbolic as what happened on the funeral procession for George V in 1936. The gold and sapphire cross of the imperial state crown broke off and fell into the gutter. Within a year, Edward the, the Eighth had advocated to Mary Wallace Simpson, an American divorcee. So Vogue talked about that. Um, it also talked about, um, it flirted with um, contemporary pictures and fashion. Um, the magazine photographers embraced surrealism and enthusiasm during that period. Um, oh, what a charming Picasso. I mean, of course, there was art. So, like, they tapped into every aspect of fashion, art, um, what was going on around the world, etc. So, that, so the, that, that period was really beautiful. There was uh, pictures of Queen Elizabeth at Buckingham Palace. Um, there was um, one part of the book that um, I was impressed with was uh, the picture of Fred Astaire was a legend he was very charming um, and Vogue featured him in May 1939 so that was interesting um, and I kept going through and there was a picture I really loved of the uh, photographers took the Delatoya corset for the designer Maine Bakker it was taken shortly before the horse fled for America as war loomed. It was so beautiful. I thought that picture was really beautiful. And I showed the picture earlier on one of my videos. Um, and the book just went on and on and on. And um, during 1940 to 1949, as early as um, 1933, Vogue had treated the emerging European dictatorships with derision. A report in the Times touched upon in a Vogue editorial ascribed by Mussolini these words of advice to the Nazi, any power whatsoever is destined to fail, which uh, they kind of like they were political. They talked about the wars that was going on. They showed pictures. Um, then the liberation of Paris allowed Couture 
to flourish. Glimpses of the pre-war direction could be found in fuller, more feminine silhouettes. So, of course, um, in Britain, peace had become at a price. The age of history was far from over, and the job of the Vogue women was yet not done. So, um, the women were coming out in their beautiful suits, and they were so pretty with their beautiful hats, with the flower designs. Um, they were just so beautiful. Um, they took lots of war pictures with the soldiers um, boarding and um, coming off aircraft, which was amazing. This was all done um, Vogue in, um, during the 1940s. So uh, there were many war pictures um, by Cecil Beaton. Oh, they were so amazing. I mean, a lot of glam and how women looked during that period. And I just kept thumbing through, enjoying the pictures and reading how the 1940s went. Um, many pictures by Cecil Beaton, of course, as I mentioned. Now, between 1950 and 1959, they called that part of the book a visionary gleam. So um, the book went into their vision during that period. Vogue had survived its second World War by reminding readers of their island nation's core strengths, resoluteness, pragmatism, and appetite for enduring crisis with optimism. So the magazine was receptive to the new and daring, daring in science and technology. So they were doing great things during that period, and they were also talking about technology, which was looming during that period. So um, the social equality had occurred earlier in February 51 for the magazine's Britannica number. The American photographer Irvin Penn made a series of portraits of the practitioners of the small trades. Point of Audrey Withers' tenure at Vogue. So there was pictures, of course, um, they did at Hyde Park. Women in beautiful suits and hats. Oh my gosh, you've got to get this book. The, the hats was so beautiful during that period. They took pictures of gentlemen, one of Francis, Francis Bacon by John Deacon. Um, there was um, David Lynn and the set of The Sound Barrier by John Deacon. And Cecil Beaton was amazing um, in the 50s with pictures and they were taking pictures of the Queen Coronation. I mean, the pictures are so magnificent, so amazing, sun and color. Some was in black and white. Uh, the book is just so amazing. It takes you through every aspect of Vogue over a hundred years, and they served us very well. It was giving me everything I wanted to see and more. Um, there was the pictures of Yves Saint Laurent before his first collection by Irvin Penn. I mean, he looked so prestigious, so classy and sophisticated. He looked like someone that I would love to sit down and talk to in a cafe, a library, at an event. Just very prominent looking and classy. Um, so the book went on in Britain and the society that had done it all and relinquished it all only to lead the world again. Vogue confidently proclaimed in 1969 by the time the world seemed to belong to the young, 
whose codes of behavior and values and tastes and disposable income influence fashion as it is in the previous era. There was the Beatles, Stormed America, Vogue considered that the Rolling Stones who followed them required to further stage of evolution. They talked about uh, Mary Quant, uh, John Bates launched the miniskirt, the emblem of the decade. Others were less enthralled to the swing in London, a popular Im imagination. I mean, there was just so much going on. Twiggy won a Raleigh motor. Um, there was Peggy Moffat, pictures of her, Catherine Genevieve. Oh gosh, the pictures were just so beautiful. Um, they went on to talk about space, the space age. Um, evening looks um, in the jazz area, the beautiful men blowing their trumpets, um, the drummers. I mean, I just, it's a must read. All of you should pick up the Vogue 100, A Century of Style, because it's just, I mean, I just couldn't stop thumbing through the pictures. I kept going back and forth. I would go forward. I would move backwards. I mean, it was just, just so amazing reading, reading it. Um, they took many pictures of the cars during those centuries. Not only there was fashion, but the cars were fashionable too, and people were riding in them. I mean, and you, there was pictures of the Beatles, uh, Terrence Stamp. There was Donna Mitchell. I mean, just there was High Voltage, Catherine Pastry by Helmut Newton. Uh, pictures, pictures, pictures. There were pictures here, pictures there, pictures everywhere. So I just kept going. And then during 1970 to 1979, um, they talked about, it read like this. 75, the hinge of the decade, when we start to realize what we look like, wrote novelist Angela Carter in Vogue. Her essay, which took in feminism and rejection of the bra, the fantasy of milkmaidism, Laura Ashley, and the t-shirt, and signature of true classical modernism, debuts the notion of the division of history into decades at the least as far as change in fashion was concerned. So with no sign of short-term salvation, Vogue commissioned in 1977, J.G. Ballard, Glimpse of the Future. So, I mean, there was just pictures, picture, pictures. Um, you saw Jerry Hall in the USSR. There was pictures of uh, Marion Helvin by David Bailey. Um, there was Milano Blanknik shoe um, that was introduced. The shoes were so beautiful, and they are still today. Um, there were pictures of In Bad Taste a Bad Thing, Gayla Mitchell by Peter Knapp. So you saw those pictures. There were ladies sitting in cars at cafes, etc. Um, there was Kathy Quirk. I mean, I just kept reading and I kept going. And the book, there was a lot of quotes that you can enjoy. Now, um, Vogue did um, some prints. Um, there was uh, The New Raid by Talisa Soto. Of course, you saw, uh, I'm going to read a little bit. Um, 
At the decade's start, Vogue tested the temperature of the young. Eaton schoolboy Charles Villiers wrote in terms peculiar to the era, the concept of inherited wealth had been whittled down. Fantasies such as startling a wine bar or holding the patent for a magnetic outplate merely attempts to sugar the reality that we must work for our bread. So Vogue just started, you know, just going with the times. Things started changing. Um, there was Bruce Chetwin, Sama Rushdie, and Rupert Everett. So, I mean, there was pictures of those people. There was um, Claudia Schiffer in Paris. Gotta love Claudia Schiffer. Gotta love Naomi Campbell, Bonnie Berman. Um, there was Cindy Crawford. There was Margaret Thatcher on Downing Street. Many pictures of her. Then the 90s came in, and then you saw pictures, pictures, pictures of Kate by Jurgen Teller, the cabinet minister, Peter Mandelison. Um, there was the beautiful Princess of Wales, Diana. I mean, the front cover was amazing to me, um, but we'll talk about that last. But the 1990s had uh, beautiful pictures with all the amazing models. Some of them I mentioned to you before, like Naomi Campbell. And on the front cover was Linda Evangelista, who, oh my gosh, I love her. Chrissy Turlington and Cindy Crawford. The pictures was by Peter Lindbergh, who we all love. So um, Naomi Campbell did a really beautiful piece that was by her Ritz. Ritz. So that picture was nice. There was one with Wyona Ryder, who was taken by her Ritz. And I thought that one was nice. And Chrissy Turlington had this really beautiful one by Javier Valerat, which was pretty. Um, Kate Moss took a lot of pretty pictures. Um, then there was the lipstick colors that came out in the 90s. So women started putting beautiful colors on their lips. Um, I kept going on and on, and things got better and better and better, and things were just beautiful. There was even a picture of Prince Charles at the time by Mario Testino. Um, there was a picture of Lily Donaldson. Um, and I just, it, it just, it just was never ending. Now we're in the 2000s. And, um, so this part here was 2010 to 2016, reoccurring cycle. The new decade began against a backdrop of global recession and an escalating debit crisis. So three out of the five countries with the least hope of refunds financing the government. Greece, Portugal, and Spain published their own editions of Vogue. So, you know, things was a little rocky, but Vogue marched on. They continued covering their beautiful print. There was Jordan Dunn, um, Eddie Campbell, uh, beautiful pictures of uh, China White, White, Sasha Pevlarova, um, there was Eye Mask by Nick Knight. 
uh, pictures of uh, many were in cafes like I said before there was Kara Knightley who did a lot of beautiful pictures um, Sienna Miller uh, Laura Stone the list just goes on and on and on and all of the pictures like I said were, were amazing um, Vogue today is still doing an amazing job over all these years they did acknowledgments at the end which was beautifully written thanking the photographers and everyone who helped put this beautiful masterpiece together I enjoyed the abundance of fashion words beautiful pictures the eras and all things Vogue many of us live for Vogue Vogue is the fashion mecca a fashion vibe it's everything it's classy sophisticated and it will always be cherished and loved by many of us it's refined and it's whimsical it's a uh, glam high-end I it's just it's so many words to describe it I really enjoyed bringing this episode to you I hope you enjoyed it I hope you and have a great night wherever you are Pick up Vogue 100, A Century of Style. Thanks for listening.